Welcome to episode 207 of On The Schmooze. Let's do this. Welcome to On The Schmooze, the podcast that highlights talented people from different fields, explores how they built strong networks, and overcame challenges on their way to becoming successful leaders. Now here's your host, Robbie Samuels. How did you pivot your business so quickly? That is a question I get asked quite often in conversations with friends, in interviews with podcast hosts, and by clients who are hoping to do the same thing. What they are really asking is, what did I do when what I was best known for, the expertise I had cultivated for over a decade, was no longer valuable? I looked for the gaps and I tried to figure out how I could be of service. The week of March 9th, 2020, it became clear that in-person events were not going to happen as planned and my business strategy for 2020 was suddenly useless. The question I kept asking myself and close friends was, how do I show up and add value? At that moment, I did not yet know that I had adjacent expertise that was very valuable in this new, highly digital world. I'm very comfortable online, and I've had a lot of practice with online facilitation through hosting masterminds, group coaching, trainings, and socials over the last five years. For several years, my wife and I co-presented a session on productivity tech tools, so I have experienced teaching tech tips and an inclination to use technology when it serves my needs. I've been a professional speaker for over 10 years, and my goal was to entertain while educating on a topic, networking, that made people angsty. Interviewing hundreds of top professionals through my podcast meant I could quickly build rapport and ask thoughtful follow-up questions. Being interviewed dozens of times made me a better speaker as, as in I could speak in sound bites so I could quickly make my point when there wasn't time for a deeper explanation. Leading Q&A and Ask Me Anything calls over the years made me confident in my ability to improv in the moment and now it's my favorite interactive format. My background organizing hundreds of events of all sizes means I am knowledgeable of the logistics and have empathy for event planners, or as they prefer to be known, event professionals. I have a passion for community building, and I have created several communities that have grown to thousands of members and hosted hundreds of events. Add to all of this my deep belief that events are about content and connection. It almost seems inevitable that I would be leading free, weekly, no more bad Zoom, virtual happy hours where hundreds of people have learned and connected. My entrepreneurial spirit then noticed how people responded to my newly recognized expertise, and I quickly piloted an offer that evolved into the 5% Advantage program, a no more bad Zoom certification. Your challenge for this week, what are your adjacent skills? Something that comes to you quite naturally because of how much time you've had to practice. Take notice of what leads people to reach out to you. Has anything changed in the last few months? Look for the gaps, places where people realize they are not as confident or knowledgeable as they need to be. Ask yourself, how can I show up and add value? Lead with service in mind. Try this and let me know how it goes. Now, onto this week's interview. Today's guest is a two-time Emmy and Peabody Award winner. Her credits read like a who's who of network television. ABC News, Good Morning America, CBS News, and CNN. She is founder and CEO of Berenson Communications, 
where she powers up the performance of top professionals, whether facing the press, a presentation, or a pitch, virtually or in real life. Her client list ranges from the Fortune 500 C-suite to nonprofits and from members of Congress to entrepreneurs. She coaches clients to up their communications game verbally, vocally, and visually, a must in this Zoom era. Please join me in welcoming Heidi Berenson. Hey, Robbie. (laughs) Hey, Heidi. Thank you so much for joining us from your place in Cape Cod. You've developed a gorgeous looking home studio there. Um, Of course, no one is going to be able to see this. So we'll have to to do a a photo shoot because you are one of the few guests that have just beautifully set up. And it's no surprise given everything I just said about your experience in TV. So as you know, this is a show about building strong networks and the context is leadership. So tell me, how do you define leadership and when did you realize you had the skills to lead? Well, Robbie, just take, taking me back, because you're in Boston, I'm in Boston, taking me back to my teenage years, I did a journalism undercover project at the Massachusetts Teenage Leadership, I mean, at the Massachusetts Teenager Pageant, and lo and behold, surprise, I won the Leadership Award. So I was like, here I'm supposed to be going... Here I'm supposed to be going undercover and they award me something. So the minute I got this leadership award, I said, okay, maybe they're seeing something. And I think it's being the eldest of three children. You're sort of thrown into a responsible position. And throughout my career, I kept being thrown into responsible positions. So I said, you know what? There may be like a nature nurture piece here. So I think I'm going to nurture the nature part and nature the nurture part. So yeah, I, I found out from a very early age. And then what does leadership mean to me? I, I really have three keys. One is EQ, so the emotional quotient, IQ, which is, I'm sure everybody now knows. Uh, I want to be inspiring. I want to lead by example. So I think leaders should be inspiring. And the third is communication, which obviously is what I do for a living. And I see communication as the cornerstone of leadership. So I like to say you're expert at what you do, but are you expert at communicating what you do? Wow. And considering this new era of Zoom, I've been talking to people a lot about that last piece, which I'm sure we'll get into because you could be an expert, but have a poorly designed and poorly executed way of expressing that. Absolutely. People will stop seeing you as the expert that you are. So I want to go back though, because you, you were talking about how you're eldest of three children. Um, you were sort of thrown, as you say, different responsibilities. And did you ever seek the leadership role? Were you like looking for the formal role or did it just sort of happen that the way you were in the world People thought, Heidi can handle this. I think the latter. I mean, I I would like to say it's a combo, but I think just knowing that to have to babysit my brothers and to, and all my jobs were taking care of other people or being in a leadership position. It was babysitting. So you're watching over other people's children. It was being a lifeguard. Like I skipped over that whole waitressing, wait, you know, wait staff, whatever, and went right on to these positions. And then even when I started my first internship at Channel 5 in Boston, WCVB, I thought, oh, interns are supposed to just come and pour coffee. And I walked in and they just sort of said, okay, you're going to be producing segments and this. And I said, but what about the coffee? And I never poured coffee. (laughs) I don't even drink coffee, but I never poured coffee the entire time I was there. And they made me an assistant producer the minute I walked in. So I said, people must be seeing something in me. And then the leadership piece just, it kept building on itself. And Honestly, one of the things that I've seen that sort of the thread, the theme that I've seen throughout my life and my career is leaders at the highest level still look to people like you, like me, to give them guidance, to direct them, to tell them what to do. 
And it's fascinating to me that they can be both a leader themselves, but look to others to lead them. There is, might be something there, though, that the reason they get to those levels is that they're open to seeing expert opinions for things that are not their expertise. Absolutely. You know, like, I can imagine you know, someone who's got to do a major speech would welcome support from both a speechwriter and someone who helped them with, you know, the actual act of presenting it and well, presentation skills and stage skills, because it's just not, that's not what they're, that's what they do. So I guess when you become that, like when you become seen in that way, you're willing to bring in the reinforcements to kind of bolster that image. Well, you know, it's funny because it's a both and situation because there are times when absolutely they're like, I need help. Like there was a former speaker of the house and one of his advisors called me and said, he's going to be giving a major national address. Could you help him? And I said, well, I'd be happy to, but I'm not coming in unless he has asked for it. Because the other side of the coin, when I said both and, is about ego. And some people are like, no, I don't need any help. I don't need, I got this one. I made it all the way on my own. So it's, and so that's where sometimes it has to be a shift when they understand exactly what you said. Hey, I don't know everything. And I'm seeing people who are really good. And when I look back at video of myself, I, I am saying, um, and I'm stumbling and et cetera. Maybe I do need some help. So ironically with that speaker of the house, they said, no, he absolutely asked for it. He's, he's game. And I went in and I did everything from, helping him pick out a suit and a tie and a shirt all the way to what he was saying and being, you know, really I had an impact on his nationally televised address, which I was like, whoa. And at the time when he, it was covered by all the networks and one of the anchors asked the congressional correspondent about, you know, how would you assess it? And he said, he's absolutely mastered the art of the television appearance. And I said, okay, my work here is done. Right. And you're like, if only they knew who was behind all this, like pulling yeah, the strings. <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. Your job is to not be seen, right? Your job is to have it look so flawless, like you absolutely. were never there. Right. Right. And sometimes I can be in the room with them. Like, you know, with Hamilton, you're, you know, you're in the room and sometimes not because if the press is around, they don't want, they don't want people to know that. And most people want to be very private about it. So that's why when I said to you, I've worked with some of the top leaders, you know, not all, cause I used to be based in Washington. So not only in Congress, not only in the white house and all the cabinet departments, but world leaders. And from my days at good morning America and the other, the other, you know, networks and shows, I mean, the people that I had access to was amazing. So like I said, you had to just go with what the vibe was. You know, if they want you there or you've done your thing and they don't want you there. They want you there as a, as like a, a, you know, security blanket to hold on to. Great. I'm there. If not, I'm in the control room watching them, you know? Yeah. 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 Amazing to be able to see the impact right away of the work that you do. Yeah. I, I'm, um, I'm curious about this trajectory that you have. I mean, because looking back, you have this amazing career. You just sort of gave us a, sort of the highlights of what that career was looking like. Yeah. But when you were getting started, when you're in school, you know, at what point did did journalism and communications, like when did like you, you, you know, get bit by that bug and yeah. realize that was a direction? Like, was it, was there some dabbling along the way or, I mean, you, you got this internship and you kind of ran with it. If they made you serve coffee, do you think you would have derailed your whole career? Cause you would have been like, this is not what I expected. <laughs> so yeah. What did you think? Uh, well, you know, originally I knew, well, you know what? English is my thing, but 
I hadn't really known about journalism until I got to college. And then I had a, an amazing professor who I just glommed onto. And he said, you know what? He said, you have the personality for television, not for print. And he said, I think you should do that. And the guy I was dating at the time, his dad worked at Channel 5. And he said, you know, I can get you an interview. I can't promise anything, but it's up to you. And I went in and they interviewed me and I got the position. And here's how you know, this is kind of meant to be that you and I are doing On the Schmooze and that your podcast is called On the Schmooze because I feel like networking, which is another word for schmoozing, and I see schmoozing as a verb, has really been the threat that has gone through all my success in my, in my professional career. So the executive producer of the show that I was on at Channel 5, she became one of the pioneers of CNN. When CNN was launched, I was in grad school. They told she told them, when you go to interview people, please hire Heidi. She's terrific. They brought me down to CNN in Atlanta, but they didn't start me at the bottom with everybody else. They started me as a, an associate producer, as a, as a guest booker and a producer. And that was because of her. And then when I was there, the work that I did, I worked so hard getting guests, you know, and it's breaking news all the time. So then Good Morning America called and said, hey, you know, who's the one responsible for getting all these guests? And I said, me. And they said, would you like to interview for Good Morning America? So then when I interviewed, they said, you know, how connected are you in town? Now, remember, I'm just starting out. I'm in Atlanta. I was in Washington for the interview. And I said, look, here's the deal. People don't stop me on the street to be seen with me now. <laughs> but I will do everything I can to get the, to the right people the right time in the right place. And they hired me and that's exactly what I did. And it was because of schmoozing. It was because of networking. It was because of, and I'm a big proponent of what Oprah says, like people just want to be seen and heard and, you know, valued. And I did that. And I would make a big deal out of everybody and I would become friends with a lot of people. And then they would help me you know, if I wanted to book a senator or a member of Congress or an administration official, they would they would give me, you know, either an exclusive or they'd really go out of their way for me. And what happened was because you made friends out of these people, like a couple of the press secretaries actually became White House press secretaries. So they went from the Hill to the White House. So all of a sudden, oh, I'm connected in the White House. So you just, you know, all these friendships become, and the networking and the schmoozing really pay off because it's really all about relationships. So, yeah. So that was sort of the thread for everything. Yeah. I love that you just gave us this like journey from uh, intern days at Channel 5 all the way to being connected to the White House, Yeah, which, which seems like such a linear path in retrospect. Did it feel that way? Not at all. Not at all. It, it, because it was kind of like, it's that sort of power of intention. And I always had it in my head that I wanted to work at the networks. And, you know, obviously Good Morning America, because I worked on the Good Day show, which was a precursor to Good Morning America. So I just said, you know what, I'm going to go to Atlanta because I said, well, I'm going to be in Atlanta and CNN and no one's really heard of CNN. And you know, how are they going to find me? I'm, I'm down here. And then when they found me, I just said, oh my goodness, that's it. And then to go like from Good Morning America, and I was there in Washington, and then they moved me to New York. But when I was in New York, and I said, you know what, I really want to move back to Washington. I, I'm glad I tried out New York, but I feel more comfortable in Washington. And I ran into a contact in the bank. And I said, hey, you know what? I'm thinking of, you know, I'd like to move back to Washington. If you hear of anything, would you let me know? She said, actually, I do know of a job in Washington. 
And then that was what got me to CBS. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's like a, I always say it's, it's not just the who you know or what you know, it's who knows what you know. And so I love that. you were Wait, putting yourself again, out there. Yeah, that's so, so good. It's, it's, it's who knows what you know. And will they remember you? Like there's yeah. always that caveat, right? Like, right. so people got to know what you're about. I love this piece you said about how well connected are you? We're like, well, no one stops you on the street yet, <laughs> which is something that you say young in your career <laughs> with enthusiasm, but it showed, you know, your willingness to do the work yeah. and but people have to know what you're about. I also want to underscore that while you're making all those connections that led to those interviews, those exclusives, you weren't doing it for that purpose. Tell us more about why you're building those relationships. Like how, what were your thoughts around why you're helping people and connecting with people back then? Because it doesn't sound, knowing everything I know about you, like it was transactional. How did you think about it though? It was, you know what? I try to connect with everyone. And it's funny because I heard one of your previous guests talk about the influence of her mother. And I remember seeing my mother, who was the consummate schmoozer, and she would always say hi to everybody. And my brothers and I would be like, mom, you don't know these people. Why are you saying hi to them? And so then I started to realize and I started to watch her and see, you know, that people do like to be seen. And if you say hi to them or you smile at them, it's like a mirror and it just comes right back at you. So... I just decided that I wanted to make it fun and I wanted to be able to, you know, not, and you use the word transactional. I did because actually some of my contacts told me, cause I said, what's the difference between like when I call you from good morning America and my competition calls from the today show and from CBS this morning. And they said, well, you know, the one from CBS will call and say, we'd like to put in a bid for the, Senator, you know, please let us know. Thanks. And then the next one will say, you know, we'd like to do this. Do you think it's possible? Whatever. And then you call and you're kind of like, hey, how's it going up there? I imagine it must be crazy with everything going on. Well, listen, you know, what what would you think if we did something with the senator? What are the odds if you were a betting person? And so if I make it fun because I want it to be fun and they find it fun and they found it a relief to laugh and to, and to enjoy or to be able to, it's weird. I always had this ability where people would sort of confide in me because I think the high EQ piece of it, like, you know, the Oprah piece, and it's just kind of, you, if you ask people about themselves, they'll tell you. And, you know, you just try to connect. So I always found for me that connecting on a human level was my comfort zone. That was just the most comfortable place for me. And then, and building a relationship. So I just always, and I always tried to think ahead. I always tried to think a couple steps ahead. So let's say I did call and, you know, the a senator or, you know, majority leader can't be on Good Morning America all the time, you know, has to, they have to be on the other shows. So I remember at one point being entrepreneurial and thinking ahead and saying, gee, you know, I noticed that the majority leader is going to be retiring in July. This is now the fall. Could I put in the bid now to get the exit interview when he leaves? Could we, like, could you write it down and I write it down? So this is, you know, are we good on this? That when the time comes, would you, you know, would you check with him and just, and let me know, could we get the first interview? And then he called back and said, yeah, we're all set. And I said, great, because we'll go down to, you know, we won't do it on Capitol Hill. We'll go to his home and, you know, et cetera. So when that happened, it was, it raised, holy heck, 
because all the other shows were like, how come Good Morning America got the exclusive on this? How come you got the first interview? You know, so it is being entrepreneurial. It is thinking ahead. It is trying to help think for the other person. How can I help this person say yes to me? What can I do that there's something in it for them? Like, you know, that radio station, WIIFM, what's in it for me? Everybody wants to be tuned to that radio station. So yes. I always thought, there's got to be something in it for them. You know, why not? You know, this, um, you talking about this experience of trying to bid and line, line all these guests up makes me think about Rachel Maddow because during the presidential election season, I noticed that all of the people who were announcing were on her show the night that they announced. Like week after week after week, everybody was coming on. And, and as people left, they were on there within 12 hours of making the announcement that they were leaving the trail. And it was just on and on and on. And of course, she's competing against, you know, zillions of people who want that scoop. And yet it was, I mean, she puts them in a good light. She's fun to work with. They have a good show. So clearly, you know, lots of eyeballs, but there's something about their approach that makes people say, yeah, we want to start here, our journey to the White House. We want to kick it off here. So it's interesting because like you said, they're being requested by everybody Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and they have to make a decision. But I thought it was remarkable that, you know, I don't know, a dozen different candidates probably chose her show to launch their campaign and it's this behind the scenes camaraderie relationship building all that good stuff okay so you said the word remarkable and we're on on the schmooze okay you know who gets those people you know six degrees of separation this is two this is actually one one of my best friends from cnn it's her brother andrew dallas is the booker for and the he is think he's senior senior executive booker who gets the guests on there so he's the one who does it wow yeah so and i've been friendly with lisa and and okay so here's the situation here's another yeah. networking when i was at good morning america i went to because i went to bu for grad school and they had a, an, a, an event in new york a networking event and i went to it and this this LA Times correspondent comes up to me and says, I know we're supposed to be here for the kids, but I saw that you're from Good Morning America and my son would really like to get an internship at Good Morning America. Can you help? And he hands me his card and it says Robert Dallas on it. And, you know, so I went back and I, you know, there was nothing really I could do. We had the interns, whatever. Then when years later, when I go to CNN and I meet Lisa Dallas and I noticed, and I said, is it Dallas, D-A-L-L-O-S? And I said, are you related to Robert Dallas? And she said, that's my father. And then here, okay. And then after that, Andrew ended up getting his own job at Good Morning America. And I didn't, but you see how it's all interconnected. Yeah, That's fantastic. Yeah, no, it's, it's a small world in some ways. The the, the less than six series of separation is so fantastic. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. MSNBC does a phenomenal job doing that and staying on top of that. And, you know, it makes it interesting as for the viewer, right? That's that's what you're all working so hard to do is to have the eyeballs on these shows and ears on these shows. And she's so, amazing. She, yes. One, one of the people I would love to have lunch with, but I would also be incredibly intimidated to have lunch with. <laughs> Both are true. So at what point did you decide to do your own thing? I mean, you were at these companies, you were at established brand names. You, you had these established roles. You were really, really good at what you were doing. When did you realize to go and create your own, to, to take that entrepreneurial spirit, I guess, one step further and create your own thing? Yeah. Yeah. So, so there were three factors. So number one, 
both my parents were entrepreneurs. Mom had a push cart in Faneuil Hall Marketplace and dad had uh, a, a meat dealership there. So he had, so that was number one. Number two, I always remember when I was in graduate school that the chairman of my department said, Heidi, you know, that's so great that you're going to be going to the networks, but I'm going to tell you something. You are going to be sick of the networks. You're not going to be able to take it. You're going to need to do your own thing. And I was like, oh, no, no, I want to be the networks my whole life. I will work to be there. Absolutely. No, I'm staying. You don't know what you're talking about. And then the third piece was after being in the news business for about 10 years, this burnout. This just burnout because it's every single day and it's unrelenting and you're on vacation and they call you in. And that wasn't even, that was before Twitter and social media and stuff. So at some point I said, you know what? It's time. It's time. I've, you know, I've sort of paid my dues. I own the club. Let's get out there and give it a shot. And at the beginning, I actually started out doing video production because that's sort of what I knew. And I had done booking for so long. I said, no, I want I want to just get my creative juices flowing. So, and actually it was Lisa at CNN who was my first client because it was the whole thing. CNN, they had the Democratic Convention in Atlanta and they had me do the produce the video for that. And that was amazing. So what ended up happening was I did that for a while and I really enjoyed it. I loved being my own boss. I loved, you know, just learning new skills and all that. And so what happened was when 9-11 hit, everything, it was kind of like this, like the pandemic, everything just stopped. But what I realized was I said, you know what, I'm, that was when Apple computers had come out and you could do desktop editing and all that stuff. And I said, people don't need network quality. They, they can sort of do it at their desktop. But at that time, people had started saying to me, gee, you used to be a guest booker. You know what makes a good guest. Could you help my boss? Could we hire you? So anyway, then that sort of morphed. And I like the idea of pivoting and morphing and changing and adapting. And that's when I said, well, you know what, let me give it a try. So it went from media training. So I started to teach people how to be on camera. And then people would say, well, gee, my boss is going to be giving a speech. You know, can you help with that? And so I did some research, but then I said, you know what, everything applicable to TV is applicable to giving a speech. And then after 9-11 happened, we decided to phase out the video. We did media training, presentation training. And then I said to myself, wow, people are going to need to pitch themselves in a new way. They're going to need to be able to communicate in a new way. Oh, why don't we offer pitching? And then we, and then it morphed into that. So to me, that's what says like the entrepreneurial spirit, the leadership piece, and just sort of being out there. And then the other piece was networking because every, honest honest to goodness, I think every single client I've ever had, and I've had hundreds of clients now, all came from referral, word of mouth, or being in a session and then coming back. So that, to me, was just astonishing. Like, I was sitting there doing it, but I was also watching it from 30,000 feet saying, wow, look at what you're doing. That's, like, amazing. But you don't think about it. You just keep, you just keep you know, dancing as fast as you can. Yeah, I mean, in 20 years ago, the tools that we have today to do all that just weren't there. Yeah. But, you know, I, I remember in 99, I learned HTML when I was supposed to be getting a master's degree because <laughs> wow. it was a way to distract myself from doing wow. my work. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. I was building websites, not that I knew what I was doing, but I was willing to dive into it. Um, and then, you know, all, all these things that just took a long time to do any of it. Uh, and, and you were creating, pivoting, shifting, I mean, I think what I, what I hear is that you are in tune with 
listening. I guess you're listening to what people need as opposed to focusing on this is what I have to offer. Like you're not stuck in the offer. And a lot of people who are experts, and I'm, and I, these are people I work with, I work with the experts on this. They are really stuck on what they know and they forget how to listen to how people describe the problem. And so as you were listening, you're like, well, they don't really need video right now. They need pitching. And so you're like, I could do that. So there's also a confidence level, right? Like, oh, I, okay, I'll do that then. And we'll see how that works. So there's a lot of um, like, wait, like iterativeness. Like sometimes once you had a, a business for a while, you don't want to keep doing that. You get kind of like, this is what we offer, you know, in like a final period kind of way. But it seems like you, are you still seeing that spirit, that iterative spirit as you build your business even now? I mean, it's been 20 years since 9-11. Like has it shifted? Has it changed? In fact, now, in fact, right now I'm pivoting, right? Because I used to be on planes, trains, and automobiles, constantly going to clients and loving it, you know, just loved being with them. And then when this all happened and I said, wait a minute, I'm a television producer. I know how to be, like you said, I have a studio set up and I know about lights and I know about cameras and I know about microphones and I, I know what makes a good guest and I know where your eye contact should be and all that. And I said, you know what? Let me put that out there and see. And people have been so appreciative. Like, it's like, it is eye-opening. And then, so I've done, and actually what I've done, because people are in such shock right now, you know, there, you've got the combo of the pandemic and you have the protests and you have the economy and people are just trying to get their footing. They're just trying to figure out what's going on and, you know, jobs and et cetera. So I have actually done pro bono several web, you know, sort of webcasts like you have, which, you know, has been amazing. And I just said, you know what, let me give people some tools that will just help them through and help them breathe. And it's fascinating the questions that they ask you, because even it's like, should I use a virtual background? Should I use a regular background? What should I do about glasses? You know, where should I look? And, you know, it just, it's been so interesting to sort of hear it because you're giving them these techniques and these tips that'll just like literally raise them in their chair, you know, literally give them the confidence. So the pivoting piece for me is huge. And I take my hat off to you. Like when you did the no more bad zooms, I mean, you filled the vacuum, you did the exact same thing. Do you think we mirror images of each other, Ravi? Anyway, (laughs) (laughs) so, and, and, you know, you did that, which is, which is incredible. So I just decided that let me give it a shot. All I can do is just give it my best shot. Try to think, again, that's the EQ piece. Let me put myself in other people's shoes, see what they need, see what would be helpful. And also try to understand that, again, when I said that people are just getting their footing, they're just trying to figure out what this new landscape is like. So if I can help guide them a little bit, I'm more than delighted. So this to me is actually, you know, when you said I'm in my home studio, you know, by the water, this has been a gift for me to be able to see how can we make it work here and how can I help people from right in my own home and from right in their own home. You know, I, the message that I keep thinking about, and this is what started me down this path of no more bad zoom was how do I show up in this moment? Right. How do I show up? How do I show up? How do I offer value? How do I support? What is it I can offer here? Like, just, just like, I kept thinking, if nothing else, I want to be remembered as someone who showed up. 
So like a decade from now, when we're thinking back to 2020, like Robbie yep. showed up. Yep. And so I wrote an article. So I will tell you that this is an interesting trajectory because I think people get stuck. I remember March 11th, everything was starting to shut down. Nothing official. Things, things are just happening, but very quickly happening. And I would talk to my peer mastermind saying, I don't know how to help. I don't know what I can do. Everything's shutting down. You'd realize my, my expertise is networking and I'm known within the context of conferences, body language, handshakes, <laughs> like things that are irrelevant if we're not having events. And yeah. my peer mastermind sort of pushed me to say, you do know how to do networking. You don't just think about it being in person. You're very comfortable online. Go help. And so the next day I wrote nine ways to network in a pandemic and I shared it. And then I thought I should probably do one of these. So that was the 12th. So on the 12th, I said to a few people in a, in a local, a small community I'm in, and I said, would anyone like to join me tomorrow at five o'clock, which is a Friday for a virtual happy hour? And three people immediately said, yes. I said, okay, I guess this is happening. I didn't actually tell anyone until the next day. The next day, two hours before the event, I thought maybe I should tell more people. So I started spreading the word. 20 people came. And that was March 13th. So March 13th, so I will tell you how stuck I felt on March 11th, was the mirror image to how I felt after March 13th's call. And then I've been doing them weekly ever since. Intense. And I didn't, I mean, I didn't start collecting email addresses until, I don't know, the end of April, maybe the beginning of May. And now, I don't know, 450 people have signed up for the series. So it's phenomenal. It's, it's phenomenal. this thing, right? And you were a special guest. I, I try to have people come in every other week and have a guest appearance yeah. talking about how you created your home studio. You your awesome Emmy sitting behind you in a cute little table that you had in your house. And it's just like, I, I just think we can all show up. So like, it's, it's interesting how the things that you were really good at, the things that I were really good at, they weren't things we were thinking about as like things to offer because it's just what you know. Yeah. I mean, and now suddenly there's a new gap the market and people need to know to go run out and buy blue paint, <laughs> right? To like paint their wall in their house and create a little, a little home studio. And it's like, you know, like they need to know to have good lighting and they need to know to like position, like yeah. these things, you know, that just weren't, I don't know, they were skill sets and expertise that we had, yeah. but now we're realizing the value of it. And that's, yeah. that's innovative and that's entrepreneurial too. Yeah. Which means you're never bored. I mean, I think <laughs> I can't imagine you just be sitting around. Not at all. And I'm constantly thinking, how can we do it better? How can we do it differently? What do people need? Yeah. And I remember when I was on that No More Bed Zone with you, that one of the guys that I met was from Canada. And he said how helpful it was, you know, your your session. So it was great. Yeah. Oh my gosh. I've had people coming from um Japan and um India and Australia. And it's like incredible because early, early morning for those folks. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so yeah. yeah, like the folks in, a, in Australia are getting up like seven in the morning on a Saturday to come hang out my, my <laughs> No More Bad Zoom virtual happy hour, which by the way, folks who are listening, nomorebadzoom.com is where you can go and sign up for that. But, um, but it's fun. And I think that's the thing you said too, is making it fun. That's been another through line of your work. Mm-hmm. Is that as you're building relationships, as you're offering value, you're doing so with, uh, with that spirit, right? With some energy to it. And people are drawn to that. I mean, you and yeah. I barely knew each other. We were making constant referrals back and forth. That's like yeah, a, yeah. Yeah, yeah. a thing, and, right? 
one of the things, you know, you talk about making it fun and I just decided because I'm all about the cold open. I don't like to do a warm up. I don't like to say thank you for having me or good morning or whatever. I like to do a cold open like they do on Saturday Night Live, you know, just boom right into it. And so the way I start when I'm doing these webinars is, you know, whoever thought in the midst of a pandemic that we'd all be on camera talent. And that's exactly what we've become because now we're all on TV. We're all on camera. We're all on the screens, whether it's a small screen or a large screen. Yeah. Yeah. And people are finding new opportunities for connection that they maybe didn't have before. That's cool. So um, I want to ask you a little bit about your networking. uh, If you have any practices around it, you know, I always ask people, there's the uh, sort of inner circle that you have. Um, You know, you're never going to have to think about how to stay in touch because they're, they're your people. But right. then there's that sort of second and third layers out, those folks that you might see annually at a conference or work with five years ago, or just, you, these are people you like, you enjoyed them, but you don't really have a reason to see them all the time right now. How do you nurture those kinds of weaker connections? What's your practices or philosophies or habits around that? So my piece is, and it's probably been amplified, not probably, it has been amplified through this whole pandemic, which is reaching out through social media you know, hey, I saw this article, thought you would ever, or congrats on that. Or I'm, I like to write notes. I'm a big handwritten notes kind of person. But I also like to just touch base and say, you know, hey, how's it going? But I'd like to have a thread if there's something in the news or gee, I thought of you when this happened, or did you just want to be sure you saw this? They'd be like, oh my gosh, that's so great. I didn't see it. Thank you so much. Because how much can you see? There's so much coming at us and everything. So I think you're right. There is kind of an inner circle and all these concentric circles that go out. And sometimes I find that it can be years. And if you have enough of a relationship you can just sometimes pick it up and, you know, no time has gone by. So one of my just key, key, key philosophies, and someone told me this years ago, was people come into your life for a reason, a season, or a lifetime. And so you just sort of figure out, and some come through, and then off they go. And some stay on like that friendship train from the beginning all the way through. And some are like, if you see at a reunion and you're thrilled to see them, that's great. But you know, okay, bye-bye, or you you pick it up. So my thing is, and you know, I hate to say transactional because I think it got a little bit, you know, sometimes it has a pejorative meaning, but I do feel that, you know, if you're in the moment and someone brought you something or you brought something to their life or they brought something to your life, great. You know, and then you just don't know, you've put that out there, you put that energy out there and you don't know where it's going to go. So when you do I mean, I find that I just like to surround myself with people who have positive energy. So that I think you keep bouncing back to each other because the positive energy, it's just, it's so warming and you like being around it. And the people who don't, you just sort of wish them well and, you know, and hopefully things will, you know, look up for them, you know? Yeah. I feel like you're touching upon a little of the the law of reciprocity in this, that the people who get that and practice that are the kind of people you want to be around. Not because you're looking for that, like tit for tat, like response, but you know that if they don't reciprocate with you, they're going to pay it forward. That yeah. it's going to just, the, the good energy is going to continue forward in some way or maybe return to you in some way you wouldn't have expected. Um, yeah. And so those are the people you're reaching out to. I love this idea that, you know, reaching out and just doing the like, hey, how are you? And I think there's no better excuse these days. Like, you know, every month we're still in this space. More is happening in the world, checking in with people. You know, how is your family? You know, yeah. how's business, all that stuff, you know, before you maybe needed the article to do it, but now it just feels like, you know, like 
there's a lot going on in the world. I just thought of you and I want to reach out. Exactly. And, and really with, with social media, particularly, I'm going to say like with LinkedIn, because I went to a webinar and I belong to the WPO. I think I told you the Women Presidents Organization. And there was a webinar and these two selling experts came in and they were terrific. And then, and it just so happened that I asked a question and they both answered me and they had singled me out for something. And I was like, well, there's no such thing as coincidence. You know, they singled me out. And so I reached out to them on LinkedIn and I connected with them and they both said, oh yeah, we absolutely remember you. And my thing was that it's kind of like one of them had said, you know, people are, think about it. People are sitting home and all they're doing is they're on social media. So that's, you know, you want to be on there and you want to reach out. And I said, you know what? You kind of knew in the back of your mind, but it was like until someone said the words out loud, you're like, oh my gosh, that's exactly right. So people have started to reach out to me. I've reached out to other people. And then it's kind of like, and then they told someone and they told someone and then their friends. So that's been another benefit, if you can say, of this whole unprecedented time that we're in, that you get connected and you do get to meet people. And again, my philosophy is do with him, tune into WIIFM. What would be in it for them to talk to me instead of me saying, well, what can you do for me? And can you help me? And I need this and I need that. Say, well, this is what I could do for you. You know, and, and what would you think about this? And you sort of make it, it's not a quid pro quo, because again, that sounds pejorative, but it's kind of like, hey, wouldn't it be great if we could help each other? you know, or or look at something in a whole new way. So. Yeah. I mean, uh, this is the Bob Berg uh, givers give and givers get kind of stuff that he talks about in his book. So, I mean, it's, it's great. And I I would love to hear kind of what's on the horizon for you. And the way I'm going to ask this question, uh, Hetty, is if we were to connect a year from now, and I'm grateful that we'll stay in touch, but if we're, we're kind of reflecting a year from now, it's June of, uh, you know, 2021. And we're saying like, wow, what a year you've had, Heidi. Like, that's amazing what you've accomplished. What are we going to be celebrating? What are you most looking forward to from the year ahead? Personally and professionally? Okay. So I think on the professional level, it's going to be amazing that I had this whole year of being able to make it work in my home studio office and not having to travel, but still having the connection with the clients and still being able to benefit them in their lives. Personally, it's going to be nice because you gain all that time back. And I think I do, you know, because you realize even more how precious things are in this time and what people have suffered. And, you know, to be able to say, you know what, life is precious, life is short, let's do things that make me feel good. So if it means I'm out kayaking a little bit more, or like I went on a bike ride right before our show, but you know, your show, because I said, you know what, I want to be totally there and totally like refreshed and, and, uh, and just go down to the beach and see the water and feel grateful. And so, yeah, I hope that that's where I'll be a year from now. That's fantastic. I cannot wait to celebrate that with you. I want, you. I want all those things to happen. So Heidi, this has been a fantastic conversation. How can people find you and follow your work? Okay, so the all the social media. So it's either Berenson Com, which would be on Facebook and Twitter, or Heidi Berenson on Facebook or Instagram. And just go to uh, berensoncom.com, which when we came up with it, berensoncom.com, I thought, oh, it's so cool. It sounds rhythmic. And it's short for Berenson Communications. So it's berensoncom.com would be great. We will have all those links in the show notes at ontheschmooze.com. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you, Ravi. It was fabulous. 
hope you enjoyed that interview with Heidi. Such a pleasure to speak with her and learn about her leadership journey. What is your key takeaway from our conversation? Something you'll put into action this week that you'll benefit from for years to come. Share what resonated with you in the show notes at ontheschmooze.com. Look for episode 207. That's also where you'll find all the links and resources from today's show, as well as over 200 archived episodes on this Pinterest-inspired page. Reach out and let me know which were your favorite interviews. Do you wish you had more confidence when you were presenting via Zoom? I'm doing a listening tour right now, and I'm meeting with dozens of presenters who all are keenly interested in upping their Zoom game. If this resonates with you, I would love to chat for about 20 minutes to learn about your experience presenting on Zoom and what you have found challenging. It would be great to get your insight. These calls are helping me design a more robust certification program. Send an email to Robbie and RobbieSamuels.com and we'll schedule a Zoom chat. Now, if you're ready to just jump right in and take Zoom to the next level with the 5% Advantage program, you're going to want to learn about this four-week certification program that helps presenters grow in their confidence with Zoom, online facilitation, and virtual event design so they can reduce their tech angst and host more engaging online experiences. Learn more and get added to the waitlist for the September cohort at the5percentadvantage.com. That's the number five percentadvantage.com. If you enjoyed this episode with Heidi, please share it with your friends and don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss next week's show. Remember, subscribing is always free. Are you a fan? That's awesome. I'd love to read your review in Apple Podcasts. It's easy to find our page at itunes.ontheschmooze.com. Thank you in advance and look forward to connecting again next week when I'll be interviewing another talent professional who's achieved success in their field or industry. I'll ask probing questions to get them to share untold stories about their leadership journey and how they built and sustained their professional network. Until then, have an amazing week. Thanks for listening to On the Schmooze podcast at www.ontheschmooze.com. That's on the schmooze, S-C-H-M-O-O-Z-E. This podcast is heard along the Marketing Podcast Network. For more great marketing podcasts, visit marketingpodcasts.net.